So, everyone who has their Bible, if you could please turn to John 16, 5 to 15, that would be wonderful. So, John 16, and we're looking at verses 5 to 15. Here we go. First off, we look really full this morning. This is ace. No pressure, Dave. So, while I was preparing, well, finishing my prep this morning, um, I was praying. And I've got a really strong sense that, that God's showing up today. He wants to do something serious this morning. Which is great for me, because it means my bit goes from here to here. Because all I'm doing is saying what he's told me, and then he is going to turn up and make that live and breathe and speak to you. He is already here. So... Let's turn to this passage. You know what, let me, I'm going to hold this. So, John 16, 5 to 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now, the things that he's not saying, just for context, is that he's leaving. And right before this, he goes through this whole fantastic pep talk about how the world is going to hate us because we love him and it first hated him. So just for a little bit of context, that's what he's talking about here. So, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now, cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, as the disciples are hearing this, it's probably fair to assume that they were fairly anxious and afraid and grieving the impending loss of Jesus. I mean, I can only imagine they were also a little bit confused at what Jesus is saying here. It's how exactly can it be better that the living embodiment of God's Son goes away and is replaced by the Holy Spirit? Despite Jesus saying, it is to your advantage that I go, the disciples surely had trouble believing that they weren't losing Jesus for something inferior. After all, the disciples had a very close and tangible relationship with Jesus. They could see him, touch him, they could look him in the eye, speak to him face to face. Now, I don't know about you, but in my Christian walk, I've often thought, if only Jesus was here now. If Jesus was in the room right now. If I could walk with him, talk with him. I, in person, I'd be a much better Christian and life and faith would be so much easier. 
However, to think this way is to devalue not only the power of the Holy Spirit, but the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not simply a force. He is God. Distinct. Let me see this. There we go. Distinct from God the Son and God the Father, yet all are one. Now, I'm not going to go too deeply into the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, because that's a whole separate preach, um, and something that we're going to be exploring together uh, at one of the new hub meetings in October. But my personal understanding of the Trinity is like this, and I'm open to correction on this. I don't claim to know everything, can be right about everything, so I'm just going to give you my interpretation. We have God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, who is all-powerful, completely unbound by space, time, and matter. However, we were created to live, within, live on earth within the constraints of time, space, and matter. So in order for God, who is outside of all that, to execute his will within that framework, we have the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has chosen to limit himself to the constraints of time in order to bring about God's will and manifest his presence and glory at specific times throughout history. For example, the baptism of Jesus, Pentecost, and the manifest presence of God behind the veil in the tabernacle. Then we have God the Son, Jesus, who while still being as fully God as the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, chose to limit himself in both time and space to exist in human form for a defined time in a specific place so that he could fulfill the law and become the otherwise impossible perfect sacrifice by shedding his blood and dying for our sin to justify us before God. So when Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that I go, he's not only speaking about the fact that his death will once and for all atone for the sin of the world, crush the power of the enemy, and reunite God's chosen people with their creator. He is also speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit of God coming to dwell amongst us and within us, who could do things that Jesus was unable to do in his physical limitations. You see, Jesus had a physical body, a physical presence, and that meant he could only directly influence people in his immediate location and only be in one place at a time. The Spirit, on the other hand, is in all places, at all times, able to minister directly to the hearts of his chosen people. So in an effort to understand the power of the Spirit, we must first look to the Bible to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God. So how does the Bible let us know that the Holy Spirit is not a thing, but is in fact part of God in the Trinity? Well, the Holy Spirit is referred to with personal pronouns. By which I mean, when Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit, he used the terms he, him, and himself. It is littered throughout this particular passage. So let's have a quick look here. 7 to 14. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come with you, come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but, cannot, but you cannot bear them now. With, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, whatever he hears, he will speak. It goes on. You don't refer to a thing as if it's a person, unless that person is a person, if that makes sense. So if Jesus identifies the Spirit as being a person, then that's good enough for me. But there are other indications to consider. The Holy Spirit is spoken of using personal titles. Titles such as helper or comforter can also be translated as advocate. And they are again used throughout the book of John. The same title is also used to describe Jesus. In fact, in John 14, 15 to 16, Jesus describes himself and the Holy Spirit in the same terms, saying, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So Jesus is identifying himself as an advocate and the Holy Spirit as an advocate. So it would be impossible for the Holy Spirit to take the place of Jesus as our advocate if he was simply an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit came to personally relate to the disciples in the place of the person of Jesus. The last thing, the last piece of evidence that the Holy Spirit is God rather than an impersonal external force. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Holy Spirit has personal qualities. In Romans 8:27 it says, "And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will." So the Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit also has his own will. In 1 Corinthians 12:11 it goes on to say, "All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. And the Holy Spirit has emotions. In Romans 15.30 it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So by knowing that the Holy Spirit is much a person of God as God the Father or God the Son, we now have a context to more fully understand his power. Diving back into this passage, what we're looking at here is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit. Since the Trinity existed in its entirety before creation. In fact, the Holy Spirit is active throughout the Old Testament and is mentioned over 90 times. He was there when inspiring and revealing himself to the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter. He was active in creation. The Spirit of the Lord brooded over the water. That's my favorite translation. Brooded over the water. Not just hover. Brooding, it, it kind of... It implies that there's action. Active waiting. He enabled Joseph to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. He gave Moses the divine pattern for building the tabernacle. He was upon King David as a king, a prophet, and a psalmist. Old Testament prophets were all men who carried 
the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them in various measures. Judges, kings, priests and prophets in the Old Testament experienced the Holy Spirit upon them and were known as the Lord's anointed. The reason these people were selected to carry this special anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is that their positions were symbolic. They were a symbolic foreshadowing of Christ, who is the ultimate king, judge, priest, and prophet, who would have the Holy Spirit upon him in fullness. And the one who, as I've already mentioned, would ultimately fulfill the old covenant of the law and bring about a new covenant where there is freedom from sin and fullness of the Holy Spirit is accessible to all people who choose to submit to him. That is what this passage is about. Incidentally, if we look at this passage, verses 8 to 13, we see that like a king, the Holy Spirit will come with authority. As a judge, he will convict us of sin. Verse 8, as a priest, he will guide you in all truth. It says in verse 13, and he will declare things that are yet to come, much like a prophet, in verse 14. See, under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was only available to the select few. But in this passage, Jesus is telling us that rather than achieving the purpose of God exclusively through selective anointing, as it was in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would dwell amongst us and within us to manifest God's will in all of his people. In his going away, Jesus was fulfilling numerous Old Testament prophecies that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, both Jew and Gentile. So now we have access to the Holy Spirit. What exactly does that look like? What is it about the Holy Spirit that is so powerful? He enables us to drive out demons. He enables us to speak the way God speaks, wants us to speak. He enables us to be born again. He will be our counsellor forever. He lives in us. He teaches us. He convicts us. He gives us the power to be God's witnesses. He enables God's love to be poured into our hearts. He testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He helps us in our weakness. I'm particularly glad of that one. He enables righteousness and peace within us. He enables us to overflow with hope. He sanctifies us, which means he blesses us, he sets us apart from the rest of the world and makes us holy. He gives us various gifts as he determines. He enables the fruit of the Spirit to develop in us. He enables great joy. Another one I'm happy for. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need it in our lives like we need air in our lungs. And here's why. Because when we are submitted and open to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he points us to Jesus and reminds us that he is alive and Lord with power and authority, that we are co-heirs with Christ as sons and daughters of the living God. The Spirit is the way we can fully grasp all that Jesus has been saying. His role is to take what has been given from Jesus and to reveal it to us. 
The work of the Spirit is to point us towards Christ. He's always wanting to direct our focus and our gaze onto Jesus. So to be Spirit-filled is to be Jesus-filled. With his power working within us, we can accomplish things we would never be able to do in our own strength. When you are full of the Spirit, you will experience new revelation of the depth of God's love for you. Because the work of the Spirit will always lead to a greater understanding of the love of Christ. You will experience... I've just read that. You will gain... You will gain a new appetite for the Bible. The Word will come alive and you will be better placed to use Scripture effectively and accurately. You will become more sensitive to the will of God in any given situation. You will hear Him and you will know His presence. You will become more open and loving with people as you see them, not as the world sees them, but through the lens of the Holy Spirit. You will become more eager to serve and be active in your church community. You will refine, he will refine your character. You will be equipped to share your faith with boldness. In the same way, I'm not that concerned about what I'm doing right now because my part is tiny. God, God is preaching now. I'm just saying some words. It is the Spirit that is preaching to your heart. And that is the same when it comes to sharing your faith in boldness. All we have to do is be willing. And backed by the Holy Spirit, He will convict. You will engage in spiritual warfare with an awareness that through Christ you have authority over the enemy. And you will receive the gift of tongues, which is a personal language between you and God that allows you to express your heart to God when conventional words fail you. Building you up, edifying you, and creating an intimacy in your relationship with God like nothing else will. A.W. Tozer said, The Holy Spirit never enters a man and then lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. Which is to say, when you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you, you will be changed. You cannot stay the same when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. When you walk in the fullness of relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will be transformed. So to recap, the Holy Spirit is God, not a thing. Through Jesus, he is now available to you as a believer. He is vastly powerful. He will change your life and transform your relationship to God, each other, and the world around you. And you need his power in your life. How then do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit in all its fullness? Firstly, know that as a Christian who has repented and asked Jesus to be your King and your Saviour, that you already have the Holy Spirit living within you. 
If you haven't done that yet, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your king, please come speak to me. I would love to introduce you. Secondly, you must submit yourself to the working of the Holy Spirit. Inviting the Holy Spirit to baptise you in his power. Asking him to work in you, on you and through you for his divine purposes. And finally, know that receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is not an event. It is a lifestyle of submission to God. Seeking to know, trust and execute his will for your life. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We must never stop pursuing a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the practical part. Sharon is going to come and play a song for us. Um, a really simple song called Spirit of the Risen God, which hopefully... There we go. The lyrics go like this. Spirit of the risen God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the risen God, fall afresh on me. Fill me anew. Fill me anew. Spirit of the Lord, fall afresh on me. Now Sharon's going to start playing this through a few times for us instrumentally. And while she does, I want you to use that time to examine your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your need for his power in your life. This simple song is also a really powerful prayer. And I would ask you to think about the words in front of you. Because if you truly mean it when you sing these words, then be prepared for the Holy Spirit to show up and do some life changing this morning. Be prepared for words of prophecy. For people to start speaking in tongues. For the spirit of the living God to minister directly into your heart and change you forever. So while Sharon is playing, allow the spirit to do this work. And when and only when you can sing these words and mean it, I would ask you to join in. Don't sing lies. Mean it. Allow the Spirit to baptize you with His power and awaken your soul.
speak to me. Speak to Keith. We will pray with you. Jesus, Lord, that we can be more like him. 